This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to do more in our continuing series of shows based on a little help from our friends. We expect that as this hour evolves, we'll be hearing from some folks that we consider pals. And if we don't hear from them, we're just going to throw them out of the clubhouse. And who knows, maybe even keep the decoder ring in the process. Without any further ado, let's jump into the way we like to start this program with On This Date in History. By the way, this is our first program in the spring of 2012. We just passed the equinox on the 20th of the month, meaning that for the next six months, the sun will be in the northern hemisphere. But our date in question is March 22nd, and it was on March 22nd in the year 1312 that Pope Clement V orders suppression of the Knights Templar, ostensibly for immorality and heresy. The Templars were, in fact, members of a religious military order whose power and wealth offended French King Philip IV. Their property was confiscated, Many were imprisoned or executed. Their leader was burned at the stake. And perhaps the worst part of the story, this event led centuries later to bad 21st century novels by Dan Brown. On March 22nd in 1841, the American, Orlando Jones, patented cornstarch. We never said this was a big day in world history. Of course, once you had cornstarch, it was just one step to produce high-fructose corn syrup, which we'll talk about a little bit more later in the show. On this date in 1942 in India, British statesman Sir Stanford Cripps met with Mohandas Gandhi, hoping to rally the Indian National Congress behind the Allied war effort. Gandhi was leader of the Congress and wanted a guarantee of independence that Britain would not give. Instead, they put Gandhi in the slammer for two years as a threat to Indian security. We were privileged in this program some years back to, to speak with someone that had met Mohandas Gandhi. That was CSUS sociology professor Sherrod Malalu. That and so many other interviews is available to you, dear listener, on our archives at radioparallax.com. Surprisingly, he said for all of his reputation, Gandhi was really quite a punk. Actually, I'm making that up. Dr. Malalu was actually very impressed by the figure of Mahatma Gandhi. And on March 22nd, 1947, in response to public fears and congressional investigations into the rise of communism in the United States, President Harry Truman issues an executive decree establishing a sweeping loyalty investigation of federal employees. Although it's noted that few suspects were turned up, the Red Scare only grew as the Cold War intensified. In fact, that item reminds us of our quote of the day. We've used it before, but we're going to use it again today. It comes from Teddy Roosevelt, who said in 1917, to announce that there must be no criticism of the president or that we are to stand by the president, right or wrong, is not only unpatriotic and servile, but is morally treasonable to the American public. A quote of the day comes from David Letterman, who said last week, beautiful day in New York City. It was 75 and cloudy. It was so nice that the carjackers were coming in through the sunroof. Our joke of the day comes from Dave Barry, who said at one point, For the past seven years, I've driven a practical box-shaped car. The auto industry calls it a sport utility vehicle, which suggests that it's sporty. This concept is reinforced by TV commercials showing such vehicles racing up mountainsides, splashing across rivers, winning the Olympic pole vault, etc. In fact... 
This vehicle is a station wagon. Admit it, sports utility vehicle owners, it's shaped a little differently, but it's a station wagon. And you do not drive it across rivers. You drive it across the Walmart parking lot. All right, our stat of the day, this is one of the scarier stats of the day I think we've ever aired, is as follows. And I'm going to quote the Associated Press here. The U.S. federal deficit was slightly smaller through the first five months of the budget year than the previous year. Still, the imbalance is on pace to exceed $1 trillion for the fourth straight year, which could be an issue in this year's presidential election. The Treasury Department said Monday the deficit grew by $232 billion in February. That increased the imbalance through the first five months of the budget year to $581 billion, or 9% less than the same period in fiscal 2011. The Obama administration expects the deficit will reach $1.3 trillion when the budget year ends September 30th. You know, I'm not an economist, but if you spend $1.3 trillion more than you take in, that's bound to cause some problems later, I'm pretty sure. And when you do it four years in a row, well, I just hope when our Chinese slave masters come over here to take over the economy that they're kind. You know, we have some bonus stats from the Harper's Index I think we should uh, run through, and a few that have been sort of collecting uh, near the microphone over the past month or two. Let's take a slight detour, shall we? According to the Harper's Index from last January, the percentage of political ad spending during the 2010 elections that would have been prohibited before the Citizens United Supreme Court decision stands at 72%. How about this one? Percentage of Americans who have been arrested by the age of 23. What do you think? Well, I wouldn't have thought 30%, and that's apparently the correct answer. How about the date in which Saudi Arabia last executed a woman for sorcery? What do you think, 1896? No, in fact, it was uh, December 12th of last year. Finally, how about this one? Rank of Goldman Sachs employees among the largest funding sources for Mitt Romney's campaign. That would be numero uno. Lest Democrats start pointing the finger, we would note that uh, (laughs) the ranking of Goldman Sachs employees among the largest funding sources for Obama's 2008 campaign was number two. Something you got to say about Goldman Sachs, they certainly cover their bets. All right, how about this? One out of three adults under the age of 40 has a tattoo. The inks injected under the skin, including a new glow-in-the-dark variety, are not regulated by the FDA and can contain harmful chemicals that cause skin and immune system damage. Dermatologist Tina Alster told NPR.org, nobody knows for sure what's really in them. Hmm. Yeah, bring a vial of that over and inject it into my body. What could possibly go wrong? How about this one? Despite a claim of having 8 million members, only 25,000 Americans say they actually belong to the Church of Scientology. The New Yorker noted some time back that the FBI is investigating claims that some members of the Church's elite Sea Org group are held against their will and forced to work for little or no pay. Radio Parallax has sources that tell us that is absolutely true. How about this one from the Washington Post? Distracted driving as a result of cell phone use and texting behind the wheel led to 5,474 deaths last year. 
one in six of all traffic fatalities, according to the federal government. Auto accidents caused by cell phones and texting also led to 448,000 injuries, almost a half million injuries in car crashes from using your phone. People, be careful. You should especially be careful if you're listening to this program while driving on Highway 80 between the 99-50 split and Interstate 5. This correspondent has to frequently maneuver his way through uh, what I would call the Angelides traffic jam to come here and do this program. Apparently, California's former Treasury Phil Angelides built a giant development down in the Laguna area, advertised it as green, and then uh, they forgot to build the uh, light rail. Oops. But seriously, if you are stuck out there between those freeways, be careful. Everybody's merging right, and it's a big old mess. As you know if you're driving in it. And please make damn sure you're not on the phone while you're doing this. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for concentrating on the next move. After the European Chess Union introduced a dress code that bans female players from plunging necklines and major displays of cleavage. To which we say, oh, come on, guys, that's always been a part of the game, hasn't it? We expect this rule to disturb quite a bit of discord among chess nerds. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for learning from your mistakes. After Jose Romero Valenzuela of Las Vegas got pulled over by Oregon cops three times in one hour and charged with driving 105 miles an hour, 98 miles an hour, and 92 miles an hour. Of course, they are, they're all going down. Said an Oregon police spokesman, you would have hoped the message would have gotten across the first time. To which we would add, or the second. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for stopping unwanted pregnancies with the news that the Utah public schools may soon be able to stop teaching sex education and prohibit instruction in the use of contraception under a new law passed by their legislature. The bill, which also prohibits teaching about homosexuality, has been sent to Governor Gary Herbert, who has not taken a public stance on the issue. Under this new law, Utah would be the only state to prohibit discussion of all birth control methods except abstinence. Naturally, conservative lawmakers feel the bill did not go far enough and should have outlawed sex education completely. All right, I want to thank the week also for its Only in America section, from which we take this item. A teacher at a Nashville high school was suspended for allegedly throwing a bucket of water over a pair of teenagers he saw kissing in a hallway. The teacher, not named by the school, posted on his Facebook page that his dousing of the pair, quote, seemed to work and they stopped, adding, keep me in your prayers, peeps. Well, why stop at a bucket of water? Why not toss a brick? Also from the Only in America file, apparently Dan Dolan, a Republican congressional candidate from Iowa, 
set out to make a campaign speech to what he thought was the state GOP convention. As it turned out, the Democratic convention was actually using the room at the time. (laughs) Dolan himself said that as he began speaking, a guy raised his hand and said, I think you want to talk to the Republicans. And I would note that we've been rather critical of the Sacramento City Council and past programs, and we're not going to break that streak today, I'll tell you. But we do want to note that they do appear to have at least a leg up over the Trenton, New Jersey City Council, which apparently got involved in bureaucratic bickering about the price of paper goods for public buildings. Evidently, after weeks of empty bathroom dispensers in police headquarters, senior centers, and other public buildings, Trenton was facing New Jersey state intervention, an action that could have included closing some buildings for health violations. I'm embarrassed, said City Council President Kathy McBride after the incident sparked media attention. We're the laughingstock not only of this nation, but of the world. Well, we would say, hold on. Councilman McBride, we haven't heard from Sacramento yet. But evidently in New Jersey, they uh, apparently voted twice to reject a $42,000 contract for a year's supply of paper products. While the council debate continued, the mayor's office rushed through a $16,000 emergency order for toilet paper, paper towels, and toilet seat covers. Which evidently finally ended the tale of Trenton's TP woes, which apparently briefly held the title as the most read story on BBC.com. Man, that's enough of that story. All right, in terms of our letters department, we want to thank Franz Kossing for the letter she sent to us and, and everyone else in the KDVS listserv. About a piece by Sam McManus in the B about KDVS's own Bill Wagman, the alternating host of the Saturday Morning Folk Show here on KDVS. Several months back, the folk show had kind of an anniversary show, and we spoke to Robin Fox about that, but uh, we need to bring Bill on the show to talk about uh, his efforts in Davis. And I believe we have Bill ready to go. Oh, we don't? Nope. All right. Well, we don't have Bill ready to go, so we'll return to him a little bit later in the program. That's going to be fun. So let's instead go to another pal of ours, America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Today's remarks come in the wake of uh, Greg Smith resigning from Goldman Sachs and writing about it in an op-ed piece for the New York Times last week. As you may recall, Mr. Smith said that the client-comes-first culture I loved when I launched my career at Goldman Sachs a decade ago has been totally degraded. No one at the firm talks about helping clients anymore, just how we can make the most possible money off them. I've seen five managing directors refer to their own customers as Muppets, sometimes over internal email. Well, as you might imagine, Will has a thing or two to say about that. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words for all my fellow Muppets. Referring specifically to Greg Smith, formerly of Goldman Sachs, who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times announcing he's out of there due to his company's extreme moral bankruptcy. According to Smith, associates are encouraged to rip off their own billion-dollar clients and regularly disparage them as Muppets. I know, what a shocker. Brokerage firms without a conscience. My God, what's next? High school parties where beer is served? Airline food that tastes like damp, glued-together bar coasters? Mitt Romney failing to speak like a real human? 
Romney is the guy who keeps hyping his history as a private equity investment banker, so it's easy to imagine him as just another tentacle of the vampire squid. Wrapped so tightly in the me-first-and-success-at-any-cost culture that he squeaks money when he moves. On a daily basis, we see evidence on the campaign trail, as he does or says whatever he thinks it's going to take to win. Pro-choice? I got your pro-choice. Wait, oh, not pro-choice. Well, then neither am I. Everything from talking about NFL owner buddies to pretending he likes cheesy grits. Mitt, this isn't personal, but if ever there were a non-cheesy grits-eating kind of a dude, it's you. Politicians even have a name for we Muppets. They call us low-information voters, people not paying too close attention, who will believe anything, such as the 50% of Republicans in Mississippi and 45% in Alabama still calling President Obama a Muslim. And it wouldn't be surprising to hear a good percentage of them actually think he's made out of muslin, a loosely woven cotton fabric. Only a matter of time before Karl Rove folds a spool of muslin into a ball, sticks his hand up it, and makes it say exactly what he thinks we low-information voters want to hear. Or did he already do that and call it Rush Limbaugh? For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Muppet. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, living under a tree canopy. People in Sacramento and Davis are proud of the fact that there's quite a bit of... uh, Shade, and I guess you'd say improved quality of life from having so many trees around. The city of Sacramento loves to brag about the fact that it has more trees than any city this side of Paris, which may or may not be true. But uh, our state capital's canopy certainly is something to be proud of, and um, the Sacramento Tree Foundation wants to add to it. For 30 days, between March 7th and April 8th, the Tree Foundation is trying to boost the city's number of trees by 30,000 in honor of the Foundation's 30th anniversary. The next week or two, we're going to try and speak to somebody from the Sacramento Tree Foundation. But the question we have to ask is, if we plant more trees, who's going to pick the leaves up? The knuckleheads down at the City Council in Sacramento are trying to cut back on this. We cited that editorial by Ginger Rutland uh, from last year on this topic, which noted that uh, if City Hall can't fix leaf debris, what can it fix? Of course, in the wake of our airport debacle and and, and impending arena debacles, we, we don't have a good answer to that question. But I must say, I was quite astounded by the piece in the Sacramento Bee on Tuesday quoting Sacramento City Manager John Shirley whose Pinocchio nose must be about three yards long by now, stating, I I guess with a straight face, that the city scaling back collection of recyclables would not present an inconvenience to residents. By, By recyclables, he means the leaf litter that collects in the streets of the City of Trees. Shirley said the city would provide a second recycling bin to residents who are worried that a more infrequent collection would cause their bins to overflow. Great. Who doesn't want to have four bins to store in their yard? One for garbage, one for recyclable aluminum and paper and such, and then two for leaf litter. Brilliant idea. Said Shirley, quote, Very few people will need that second bin. Well, no, no, not true, Mr. Shirley. If you live in my neighborhood... A lot of people would need that second bin. Adding, we already know that people don't fill up the one bin every week. Well, I I don't know where John Shirley lives, but it's apparently not in my neighborhood. 
So apparently to save $1 million a year, our city council, the same folks that just staked the Sacramento Kings and their arena bid, a quarter of a billion dollars. Of course, I guess if you think about it, of course, if you think about it, I guess if you cut out um, leaf litter pickup, you're one two hundred and fiftieth of the way there. Now, if we can just shut down all the libraries and swimming pools, and heck, maybe turn off the traffic signals. Who knows? Maybe we can get one two hundredth of the way there. What's curious about this is in order for the city council to lock up this maneuver to get rid of the claw for nine months out of the year, the residents of Sacramento are going to have to repeal 1977's Measure A, which prohibits the city from requiring green bins. City council is expected to place a measure on the November ballot to repeal it, and you can bet your butt we're going to be involved in that process. But uh, back to the Kings for a minute. I was quite offended by the op-ed piece by Steve Wigand in the Sacramento Bee, which is supposed to be funny, which notes that the battle for the arena is over except for the shooting of the wounded. Mr. Wigand makes the argument, I guess again with a straight face, that Sacramento's statewide, nationwide, and worldwide image depends on building a new arena. And of course, anyone who's traveled knows that world-class cities like Rio de Janeiro, Paris, Sydney, Australia, are all distinguished by their NBA basketball arenas, aren't they? His second point was that Sacramento's economy, culture, and general livability will be boosted immeasurably. And by that I mean we won't be able to measure it by an arena. I don't know. The Sacramento uh, City Council supposedly voted just to consider some options a few weeks back, but boy, the proponents of the arena are acting like it's a done deal. The B in referring to this piece by Wigan said that the city council has more or less settled the issue of building a new arena. Oh, they added, all those opposing this edifice of world-class status should just get over it and face the realization that to the civilized world, the kings are the face of this city. Oh, on a saner note, we'd quote an editorial piece special to the B by Kevin McCarty, one of the two city council people that uh, voted against the measure. We're going to try and bring Kevin McCarty on this program in the future to talk about uh, his stance on this. He notes in the piece, My stance is that if we put public money into this project, it must be a good deal for the city and its residents. The current plan just isn't a good enough deal for the city of Sacramento. Because the details matter, the following issues need to be addressed as the process moves forward in the, fall in the coming months. Issue 1, let's address our current city priorities. Noting that for me, it's unconscionable to allocate all new parking monies toward a new arena with so many other pressing city needs. In my council district, all three swimming pools are closed and community centers and libraries are staffed at skeleton levels. Issue two, let's protect ourselves regarding the King's loan. Under this plan, the King's current $67 million loan will not be paid off. Rather, it will be refinanced. This loan will likely linger on the city's books for another 30 years, impacting the city's debt ratio. Issue 3, let's ensure rock-solid guarantees to protect our general fund. Mr. McCarty notes the issue backfills $9 million to the city's general fund for core municipal services. The biggest piece of this puzzle, $3.8 million in ticket surcharges, is a positive element, but is very speculative. Noting city after city has been burned with lower-than-promised surcharge revenue 
as a labor strike or a bad product on the court can undermine the promise. And issue four, let's negotiate a deal to make money. Noting, with this proposal, the city's projected to simply break even financially, whereas AEG and the Kings are looking to make a profit in the endeavor. We will return to this topic in the future. All right, final item in our effort to uh, hold local politicians accountable. We, of course, must again look at the fiasco of the Sacramento International Airport and wonder why. Every week now, for I think five weeks in a row, we've been, we've been talking about a different aspect of this debacle. And our latest one comes from a letter to the Sacramento Bee by Sharon Jane Matthews, who wrote, Regarding loss of airport spot poses challenges for independent businesswomen, our region, March 11th, it's vital that we all support local businesses as much as possible. Shame on Sacramento International Airport for removing local folks who provided shoeshine services and giving this contract to a large company. Here we have an example of a hardworking independent woman who was successful and able to make a living wage. Why would anyone expect that she accept a position with good fellows in which she would only be able to keep her tips? How is she expected to continue making a living? Unfortunately, this is yet another example of the little person losing out to corporate America. And yes, we plan to keep those who brought us the revisions at our international airport on the hook for quite a while longer. But not in this segment, because we need to take a break. Listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. we got lots to talk about. Stick around. <laughs> 